Doo-doo-doo. Doo-doo-doo. Okay, I think I've forgotten the tune. So let's just get on with the episode. Uh, Alex, you are always such a disappointment. But for <laughs> fear not, listeners, everybody's eats is back. I'm your host, Nanad Barbadikar. And there's plenty to be joyful in uh, today's episode because we are joined by a special guest, everybody's uh, favorite Marseille fan in Patrick Toussaint, a.k.a. Junior. How's it going, Junior? It's going well, Nina. Uh, thanks for having me on, fellas. Uh, happy to be here. I did talk about Muslims uh, in Europe. Uh, you know, everybody's yeah. uh, got my plate. <laughs> excellent, excellent. We are very hyped to have you as well, our first guest. So I think it's best we start with the most recent Europa League round of results, guys. All three French teams, Rennes, Monaco and Nantes, getting knocked out. Any thoughts on those ties? Uh, I'll jump in with Monaco, Leverkusen. I watched the first game where Monaco actually won 3-2. And it was quite a spectacle. Lots of fantastic goals scored. Um, Verts having a very good game back. If I can move a little bit outside of focus on French clubs for a moment. But I think despite winning, Monaco didn't look that good. I think it was more equal in the first half. Leverkusen looked better in the second half. And I think in the second leg, Leverkusen were better again. <clears throat> Ultimately, I think it was a fair result. Monaco didn't really show that they should go through. So, so not too many complaints there in terms of who deserved to go through, I would say. I think it was just a weird one. Um, if Ren had uh, kind of avoided an own goal really, really late into extra time, we'd be having a different discussion here. Um, I don't think there's a deeper issue with the way that um, they played, specifically how they're approaching those games, I think. Uh, for the most part, it's just been a kind of tiring Ren side. Um, injuries affected them a bit. Um, but like I said, I don't think there's any systemic that needs to be kind of at best um, regards to that defeat. And away from the pitch, of course, there is big news in Strasbourg with uh, Todd Bowley's apparent interest in purchasing the club as part of a bigger multi-model project. Uh, I was lucky enough to speak to, to Alistair Madden, who is our friend in Strasbourg and a friend of the podcast of course and he was able to communicate to me feelings of the fans which are definitely less than positive the 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 fans as a whole are not very open to the idea of someone like Todd Bowley coming into the club purely because of some bitter experiences in the past with uh, with the McCormack consortium that tried to uh, that basically took them over and then you know spoiled things for them uh, at the start of the century but uh, this is a club that is very much steeped in tradition and uh, someone like Todd Bowley coming into the picture will not really help them too much. And if if club president Mark Keller does choose to go ahead with the decision like that, I, I think uh, it, it, will, it will hurt prospects for him with the fans and uh, with the club as a whole. So that is uh, the situation with that. So thanks to... Alistair for his thoughts on that. We'll stick with uh, with Strasbourg and talk about the weekend's action. Starting off with Habib Diallo leading a potential uh, survival charge for, for Strasbourg. Scoring, what, seven goals since the season resumed from the World Cup's finish. He's been in tremendous form. And uh, since Ludovic York's departure from 
from the club really taking on the mantle of the of the main main striker at the club alex i'll come to you next to talk about ren's performance and jeremy doku in particular he's really come of age hasn't he yeah i'm so happy to see doku thriving like this i've been a big fan of him for a long time i kind of thought you know round about the the most recent euros would be when he breaks through i think the talent's always there when you watch him incredible dribbler incredible carrier from deep like you can just give him the ball and he's going to get it into the final third even in around the penalty area the issue has always been output with him just that final ball getting in good positions to shoot good delivery on the cross or the final pass i think he's kind of finally putting it together now there is that sort of gap in the team to kind of step up especially he's not really sharing minutes with Kamaldine who was more out of favor under Genesio and obviously with Terrier gone there's a little bit more of an opening and i think it's good to see him making it his own um and adding some goals and assists i think once he does that he's an electric prospect for anyone to to have and I, i'm i'm happy to see him finally making that that jump we hope we hope we we'll see well all the best to mr doku for the rest of his season We'll quickly just summarize the rest of the results for you listeners. Junior Ito had a masterclass against Toulouse in Rance's 3-0 victory in the northeast of France. We saw Tara Moffi opening his account for Jim Ratcliffe's niece with a brace against Monaco in the derby on the French Riviera. And Didier Degas' start there at Nice just continues to get better and better. Montpellier, of course, holding Franck Hayes' loss to a draw, making it three games without a win for the team. Down at the bottom, Ajaxio leapfrogging Estac uh with a win. And it could be a potentially pivotal season-turning result for them even, winning 2-1 against uh, the City Football Group uh, club. But the main the main headline result of uh, of the weekend was of course from Le Classique where Marseille lost 3-0 to PSG. Alex, did uh, did Tudor get it wrong there? Uh just before we before we get into that, um obviously in the doc we're all on I love because I wrote out Le Song at all for and I don't know if I'm saying it right for for Lons, but I love the facial expression I wish we could have had it where you decided to go for the team and then you moved on anyways yes for like classique i i kind of do think tudor got it wrong i mean it's puzzled me it puzzled me seeing the decision to drop class in the first place i kind of get it you want to pin you want to put oh and of course put nuno tavarsh on the right i kind of get it maybe pinning his compatriot and fellow namesake nuno mendish a back a bit preventing him from, you know, threatening too much on the overlap, also maybe congesting the midfield a bit more. I get that, but then I feel like they also lost a lot of what they could do going forward. And at the beginning of that game, Marseille did really have PSG on the back foot for a good 20 minutes, I'd say. And I think someone like Klaus who has been their most creative player, and we will get into that in this episode, I think. And then having Nuno on the left rather than Kolasinac, who was still playing as attacking a role. He wasn't really sitting back, so... It, it, there were weird decisions um and i kind of do think tudor got it wrong maybe overthought it a little bit um and the other thing is i mean i'd have to watch it back but i was i was surprised by just how easily psg managed to slice through them through the center of the pitch you would you would think maybe if anything you want to congest that 
that middle a bit more and that didn't really happen. Well, yeah, interesting to see how Igor Tudor recovers uh, with his team from this result. Junior, what do you think, as a Marseille fan, of course, your your opinion is more prevalent here. What does this mean for the title race as a whole? Yeah, I do think it, it is with great sadness that I have to accept that the title might be gone. Uh, only just might. <laughs> but uh, I think it is only natural that at this moment in time, we really focus our attentions to the podium race. Um, finishing second last season was really, really huge for the club. And being able to finish second again this season um, will also be, you know, it'll feel like a title win in itself. Um, probably wasn't what we'd hoped for, um, given how close we were to PSG at certain points this season. But looking at looking at everything, um, especially considering how close the, the chasing pack um, coming in for the for that podium spot and how strong these teams are, how informed some of them are, um, I think it's only natural that we uh, kind of abandon, in quotes, the title and focus on the top four. Well, there you go. Brilliant. Silver lining in the dark clouds for Marseille fans. And with that, listeners, we come to the end of our weekly recap. After a short break, we'll dive straight into Marseille, the club and their history. Let's dive straight into Marseille, the club. And before we talk in about anything else, I think it's worth taking a history lesson. And thankfully, we have a accomplished history expert of uh, French football here in uh, in Junior. So I ask you a very simple question, uh, Junior. Where do Marseille as a club stand in the hierarchy of French clubs? Without combing through a hundred years of history, I would say we are the pride of France. Uh, <laughs> Behind Lyon. <laughs> Don't, don't joke with that one. Um, so, yeah, as I was saying, um, uh, I think we were one of the first French super clubs um, in the era between the world, uh, the two world wars. Um, I think while this was followed by a long era of mediocrity, the club did uh, manage to kind of become popular again and for good and bad reasons through the late 80s and early 90s. Um, this, I think, was the height of Marseille as the biggest club in the South at the time. Um, we had all the best players, Abedi Pele, Rudy Foller, Cantona, Papin, um, Deschamps and Desailly uh, being the icons of the team. Um, the kind of, this idea of the greatest club in the South kind of graduated to the greatest club in the country. Four league titles uh, in a row, two Champions League finals in three years, uh, winning the second against Milan. Uh, and from this illustrious period, we kind of get the three iconic hallmarks of Marseille, the club. That is uh, Jamelli Premier, which is forever the first uh, first club to win the Champions League, first French club. Um, the star on the emblem, which defines the club to this day, and Papin's, uh, Jean-Pierre Papin's Ballon d'Or. Uh, but this era was immediately followed by uh, allegations of match fixing, which were sadly proven right, um, and the club was relegated. Uh, we lost kind of all of our A-listers, but Fabian Bartes. Uh, which kind of set the club back quite a bit. But we did come back after a couple of seasons. And um, yeah, I think that is probably the, the history of the club that needs uh, discussing. Okay. Um, speaking about the more recent history then, Pablo Longoria's appointment and coming into the club has been pivotal in the club's successes and brief failures of late. 
first appointed as sporting director in the year 2020 and then becoming club president in uh, 2021. Junior, how has the uh, how has the club changed pre-Longoria to post-Longoria? And what are your thoughts on that? I think we're doing things differently under Longoria um, compared to kind of the, the period in the mid-2010s. Um, the types of players and the caliber of players that we're bringing in has remarkably changed. And if you look at the days, um, you know, the era of bringing in the likes of Adli, Adil Rami, um, Kostas Mitroglu, Kevin Strutman on high salaries are long gone. And naturally a club like Marseille will need the occasional stopgap in the form of loanies, kind of achieve a short-term bridging to a long-term idea. And well, in the past, you'd see the strangest loanies coming in, the likes of Paolo de Chelier, I mean, Abdenor. Um, our loanies in the last two seasons speak for themselves and the success that they've had has been resounding. Uh, do, of course, a big thanks uh, to the Arsenal Football Club here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, looking at Tavares and Saliba, <laughs> obviously big shouts, but uh, other players like Arit, Balerdi, Malinovsky coming in this season. Um, these are players who have raised the level of our performances and are players who are on a good level of understanding with the, the coaches, um, both Sampaoli and Tudor. And yeah, I think this is... Uh, you can you can see huge steps in the right direction. Alex? Oh uh, yeah, just my own perspective on Longoria. I echo a lot of that from Junior. I think one thing that really interests me is obviously Longoria has come in and is acting on kind of a you know, has to balance the, the finances a lot and we, we see that in how in the deals he goes for. It's very interesting. Doesn't really seem to go too much for younger players. There's one or two in there that are genuinely very young players that he's, he's sought out on deals. But it's just interesting how many players that he does get that are a bit older or maybe, if not older, but out of favor and kind of tries to fa- find the value there. I mean, we can talk about some of the recent signings. Like Klaus, fantastic player, a bit older, got, got him at a good value, right? So that was a, a huge signing for them. Alexis Sanchez, really in the twilight of his career, another big signing who is bringing a lot to the side already. Um, then guys on a free like Transform Bemba, we will all be speaking about these players later. Um, and then alongside the younger guys like Isak Toure, uh, who's out on Loden, Unahi, who joined in January, uh, Ruslan Malinovsky, older obviously as as junior junior attended to. In a weird way, like the squad has often looked really weird, and still it comes together quite nicely by the end of it. Um yeah, so I think to, I think Longoria, I, I kind of doubted the approach he went for when Sampaioli was still at the club in the summer. Um, and also kind of was a little bit critical of Longoria, who is a, a director of football that I have admired for what he managed, what he's managed so far. But I thought maybe not backing Sampaioli and stuff was a mistake, but he stood by, by what he did. He got more really good deals in and the squad is looking good. And the team is looking great. So, yeah. Good that you mentioned Alec, uh, Sampaioli, Alex, because uh, it's worth talking about what Marseille did under him last season and what, what happened there. Uh, Junior, I'll come to you first. What happened exactly with Longoria and uh, Sampaioli's relationship and why did he quit? I think it was a summer of the things that we feared the most at the end of last season. And that's changed. 
Um, you know, we finished second. Finances are looking stable. We've got a couple of players in the French team, and then all of a sudden things just go sideways. Um, Sampoli uh, had a couple of meetings in the summer with uh, Longoria, and he was informed that we wouldn't be able to spend as much as he'd wanted or on the players that he'd wanted, and um, which was, uh, I don't think it was what Sampoli had expected. Uh, he had kind of not really been promised, but he was expecting Saliba to stay. And his departure kind of left a huge hole in in the club in the summer because, you know, Sampoli, it, it felt almost like losing a, a relative uh, for, for so many of the fans because Sampoli was like the archetype of, you know, the, the club. It was the archetype of the, of, the, of the coach, of the lead of the club. Um, he's this vocal, animated figure. He's this enigmatic character, um, argues with the refs and the opposition crowds. And a huge, huge part of Marseille's club culture is this underdog mentality where feeling like we've got our backs against the wall and we're fighting the establishment, we're fighting the referees, fighting the league. And that's some, what Sampoli embodied. So Let's jump forward to the present then and speak a little bit about Igor Tudor, guys, because he's, I think, done a relatively good job compared, you know, compared to how he started and obviously taking off from where Sampaioli finished. Uh, as a Marseille fan, Junior, again, I'll come to you. What were your sort of initial expectations for him after the struggles and the mutiny that we saw almost within the squad? Bringing in someone like uh, Tudor, who initially was... Uh... You know, we didn't know anything about him, but he, he did seem reserved compared to Sampoli. You know, we don't see any headlines of Tudor coming in from from Italy. Uh, so Tudor comes in and there's a lot of discontent, um, widely reported, uh, especially the players who kind of led the podium charge last season, the players who were seen as the, the heroes of the previous season, particularly Payet and Gerson. And to some extent, Amadou Bomba. Uh, it's after seeming like we'd finally worked out the right conditions and we'd be working our way up the return to the summit. Uh, we hear that there's kind of like a mutiny going on, particularly between Jason, Payet and um, Tudor. So naturally, we would take the side of, you know, the players who we were familiar with the previous season, the players who were identified with everything you know, the players who kind of embodied the previous season who were still there. Uh, so that was, I think, the biggest issue that Tudor had to um, had to fight in from fight with the fans early in the season. Um, he was booed quite loudly in the opening game of the season. I think that in hindsight is, uh, I think it was quite unfair. Um, but it is kind of nice to see him um, fighting for fighting for his like his legacy and fighting for his ideas and very very slowly and when i say slowly i mean super super slowly um getting the fans on his side uh so yeah the the, the good feeling is back and we're actually looking forward to match days which is a huge change how things were uh yeah thin, things have changed and uh the fans are back into to kind of be the one to to lead us into that um next step because the whole idea of uh, this project that Marseille is running right now is to kind of be able to become a club that can reach the Champions League, uh, the upper echelons of the Champions League. 
So Alex, how has he very slowly turned his turned the ship around almost, and how has he turned things around for for Marseille? Well, I think I think we're going to get into that when we speak about the tactics, which are which are honestly striking, especially when we get into the to all the in possession stuff that we've been pouring over for the last week in preparation for this pod. But yeah, I think I think the the intangible stuff. It's I wouldn't really know exactly what happened behind closed doors, but I think. It's an incredible for a coach to be able to turn it around that well. And I mean, Junior spoke about it being, you know, very, very slowly. But to be fair, Marseille fans are passionate, stubborn fan base. And he has got them on side inside half a season. Um, they look very good. I did expect kind of a car crash just from all of the the stuff that was happening around the club at the time. And yeah, he's turned it around. Uh, more than turned it around. They are the second best team in the league. Brilliant. And with that, I think we come to the end of this section. Let's jump into what an Ego Turo 11 looks like after this short break. All right, we are back. And let's dive straight into what an Ego Turo 11 looks like, guys. The formation on paper, I believe, looks like a 3 4 2 1. And listeners, I hope you can visualize and go along on this formation as we go through the starting 11. Starting with the goalkeeper, Alex. So the goalkeeper is Paulo Lopez. He's a 28-year-old Spaniard of Roma and minorly Spurs fame. He joined under Sampaoli last season as a key player because of his ability on the ball and in particular his ability to get involved outside of the box, both offensively and defensively. Um, he's kept his place and these values are these qualities are similarly valued by Tudor. If we move into the back three, um, I'll just list them. Shirt Kalasanach. Leo Bellodi and Chancel Mbemba. Well, let's start with the center, the central center back. Bellodi, he's actually already in his third season at Marseille after initially joining on loan in 2021 season from Dortmund. But he's already played more minutes this season than he did in his previous two campaigns. Um, he functions as their defensive anchor of the Marseille side, right in the middle. He's flanked on the right by Chancellor Mbemba, who in contrast has just signed and arrived at Star Velodrome after four years at Porto. Where Bellotti is more of an anchor, Mbemba has a lot more freedom to drive forward and get involved in the attack, which we'll talk about a lot when we get into the tactics of how this side works. Similar sort of case on the other side for Kalasinac, at least for me, needs no introduction. Um, and yeah, he also plays that more of an attacking role. I think as we'll get into, there's a little bit of asymmetry there, but yeah, that's your back three. Um, getting into the wing backs, on the left, another former Arsenal left back, this one on loan, is Nuno Tavares. Um, but he plays a very high, very attacking left wing back role. In many respects, he's basically a forward, backed up by the fact that he's Marseille's second top scorer in the league with six goals this season. On the other flank, you have Klaus, who is arguably their biggest coup of the, of the summer and has been their chief creator with eight assists in the league already five ahead of anyone else in the squad. So you can see you've got a bit more of the goal thread and, and the chief creator on either side. And that kind of gives you an idea of just how important the wingbacks are in a Tudor side. Perfect. So that's basically the back three and the wingbacks. Junior, I'll come to you. Let's start with the double pivot. And how does that look like? So we have a Nante double pivot. Jordan uh, Fairton, Valentin Ronger, both spent around 15 years each at FC Not. Uh, Vertu 
if you're listening, happy birthday. Uh, Virtus 30, turns 30 today. Uh, he is a summer signing uh, who I think had a really hard time settling in uh, initially, especially with the fans. Um, but he is uh, a mainstay. Mostly operates on the left uh, compared to Ronji who operates on the right. And Vertu is also responsible for taking quite a number of the set pieces. Uh, Rangier, 28, uh, like I said, also Nante. Uh, he's basically the key holder of the defense. Um, his tackling, anticipation, and positioning are remarkable. Um, and he is also naturally versatile. So you know he's, he's comfortable playing in almost every zone, especially in the first two thirds of the pitch. Uh, but both of the members of the pivot share ball progression and volumetric passing um, kind of con- these controlling duties in the midfield and in different phases of play, um, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, but Vertu does more of the creating and kind of knitting things together in the final third, while Rangier, um, like I said, being the, the better of the two defensively, will often take up more responsibility on the on the defensive side. Um, behind the the two behind the striker is where we have uh, the most amount of personal rotation. Um, different players bring different qualities, um, but we have chosen the two that believe would be chosen if kind of if everyone was fit and available. Um, but also the one that Tudor would favor the most um, for the second half of the season. Uh, first, we have Matteo Ganduzi in his second season at. Uh, Marseille, um, you know, his loan was made permanent, just like Genghis Onde, who is the other member of the two behind the striker, mostly coming in off the right. Um, it is Onde's second season as well. Um, he has, it is a bit of a, a one-trick pony. Um, kind of cuts in on his, cuts in on his left foot quite a lot um, to take shots or you know crosses and passes. Uh, compared to Genduzi, who still has this kind of free role that he had uh, under Sampoli last season. Uh, so there are quite a lot of names that we could throw in here, but uh, I think Induzi and Under would be the two that we go with. And then finally, we have Alexis Sanchez, uh, who at 34, uh, he made the move to Marseille in the summer. Um, very much in the twilight of his career, but he's found a, a home. He is genuinely loved by the fans, something I think he has missed in the second half of his career, you know, the post-Arsenal especially. Um, his role is probably the most important in the team, um, often dropping in, holding up play, um, operating between the banks, um, inside the block, as well as offering himself for in and out, um, into outruns uh, regularly. Uh, so I think... Uh, that would be the the ideal eleven, that the ideal XI for Marseille and for Tudo. Uh, kind of looking at all of the things that he he tries to do with the team, particularly on the ball. Um, and with that, I think uh, these are the players who best achieve the principles that he is trying to achieve at the club. Brilliant. So I think that's pretty much what a Ego Tudor starting level looks like. Now, the next section, of course, guys, we are going to talk about the in-possession stuff and the tactics as a whole, and that's a lot to get stuck into, so I'll allow the listeners and ourselves a short break. 
Okay, so let's get into the tactics, guys. And I I think it's best if we sort of uh, lay out the key principles of what an Ego Tudo team looks and how they operate. So, Junior, do you want to take us through that very quickly? Thanks, Ninad. Uh, so, I think the main principles that we see, the main principles that we see from Tudor's Marseille are loads of fluidity and rotations um, in all three phases. There's huge emphasis on... Uh, on width, particularly from the wing backs, Klaus and Tavash. Um, the width is used to offer an option for, for a switch um, to stretch and occupy the opposition box and to create spaces for central passes or uh, create spaces for runs. Um, so there are no rigid personal specifications, for lack of a better word. Tudo has asked everyone to be able to do kind of everything, um, three, four different things uh, competently everywhere. Uh, this is why you see kind of additional emphasis on the occupation of the correct spaces, um, yet it's less important who is occupying those spaces. Uh, we typically do see, like we said, quite a lot of uh, rotations from practically all the players. Uh, you'll find Mbemba charging forward, um, you'll find, okay, both of the center backs charge forward, but Mbemba typically charges more and higher. Um, to find Vertu coming up to the left to kind of participate in these uh, assist in the like forming triangular rotations between um, himself, Tavarsh, and Kolasinaj, or himself, Tavarsh, and uh, Arit. Um, more recently, Malinovsky as well. Uh, also, see, uh, like we said, Genduzi still holding that, having that free role that he had last season, just moving around everywhere and kind of facilitating um, even more kind of this, these uh, almost seemingly chaotic but not really chaotic movements um, that we see from Klaus, from Under, from Alexis. And yeah, I, so I think those would be the main principles. Um, tons and tons of fluidity and both from the, you know, from the player's movements and from his own tactics, uh, tons of rotations and um, the, the width which kind of defined us early in the season is still uh, a key element of how we how we play and I think it'll continue to be until the end of the season uh, so that is uh, I would say those are the, the principles that Igor Tudo has or has brought to Marseille Interesting, so I think it seems to me at least that you know, uh, and I hope the listeners will agree that there is a lot of multitaskers doing a lot of different things in into those systems so let's chronologically go through the tactics as a whole junior uh we'll start with the first phase and from goal kicks where how do they sort of operate so the first phase of build-up um typically you'll see the goalkeeper always going short or a center back coming in and kind of initiating the kickoff by passing it to the goalkeeper just to kind of throw off uh, the opposition press um generally you'll see three centre-backs and a pivot, usually Rangier. Um, and you rarely find Klaus and Tavarsh participating in this first phase. Uh, they're usually already really high up, um, sticking to the edge of the, the middle third, um, already high and wide of the pitch, kind of forming the, the shape or structure that will become crucial in the second phase. Um, and what we also kind of see is... Uh, Depending on the opposition, sometimes you'll see Klaus and sorry, not Klaus, uh, Vertu and Rongi, both members of the pivot, dropping in and 
kind of assisting with the with the build up, especially against uh, clubs that are trying to keep things narrow, trying to keep things um, compact and reduce the amount of spaces that Sanchez and Vertu and Harit or Genduzi would have between the lines. So um, Vertu and Ronja will just come in and kind of start initiating the, the movements um, that would kind of be used in the second phase, sometime, particularly the movements uh, of kind of playing around a block. So yeah, the, 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 that is usually facilitated initially uh, by Ronja and Vertu coming in deep. Yeah, so just to add on to Junior's point about how they kind of have a pivot dropping in, what you'll normally see is Mbemba moving to play right back, Klaus moving quite high up, sometimes situated in the half space, sometimes holding width, really does depend on who his partner attacking mid or half space player, the one behind the striker is. Whereas on the other hand, you'll probably see Klaus and Ach playing more of the left back role, a little bit more natural for him, of course. And Nuno kind of holds that width high up there. As we kind of move into that second phase, it's quite interesting how you'll see Ferretu kind of moving out, depending on where Kalasinac is. So you see both pivots actually moving away from the pivot position at different times. Of course, Rangier dropping in to being the one of the center backs alongside Valerdi in the build-up phase, or um, in the first phase of build-up. Yeah, it is interesting how patient Tudo is willing to be um, in the first phase build-up because he is quite meticulous about this. Um, so you will see us often restarting or resetting the first phase build-up and just starting, you know, tearing everything down and starting the whole process up again, um, which I think is made easier, of course, by all three members of the centre-back, the, our, our ideal XI that we mentioned. Um, I think we left out Rigo and Bai. Um, so all three center backs or any member that will come in any member of the pivot or even Ginduzi that would come in um to assist with the the first phase uh all of these guys are really really good on the ball um ronje isn't super excellent but he is capable enough he has played on the left center back he has played as the right wing back um so all of these guys being capable um technically and being players you can trust on the ball um i think all of that facilitates the how comfortable tudo is just doing everything to get it to, you know to, to get everything perfectly um especially in slower games um games where we're facing a narrow team um with compact block uh so we're not afraid to kind of just do things slowly and um break them apart piece by piece Yeah, so maybe let's speak about how they kind of get through this first phase build-up, use it to get the ball into the opposition half, like that progression phase, right? I think what we see is that they often do try to make use of like quick progressions, as patient as high as they can be, um, whether it be like quick progressions from settled sort of build-up or maybe transitions from my counter, of course. They're not averse to being ambitious with their direct balls down the channels, often into Sanchez, as you were speaking about earlier, Junior with the dropping in role that he plays. They've, I've also seen Harry drop in a bit like that. Gwinduzi occasionally when he is high up and playing behind the striker. Um, or otherwise they play those balls for guys like Sanchez or the Hawks guys to make those inter-out runs um, to meet onto the ball. Often not that successful. And I wouldn't say that they are 
a particularly good team or threatening in direct transitions, but it is something they try. I think it does help consolidate possession a little bit higher and then they can play it back and work through again, right? Um, there are also a number of balls down the flanks, normally to Nuno on the left or Klaus or Undo on the right. Against blocks, what I find interesting, we were talking about rotations, but also just the general movements of the players is that the pivots, Veretout and Angier, often vacate the midfield, um, dropping outside of the opposition block. Two things can kind of happen from here. One, they work the width and then focus on progressing play down the flanks, making use of, you know, um, passing triangles and third man runs, especially into ball carriers from deep like Mbemba um, or maybe Gwinduzi when he pulls out to the left occasionally um, to get into the opposition territory, including including the opponent's own third. Or two, they make use of something that I I've kind of coined as like dynamic depth, it, it, not to be all like pretentious about it. It's just the it's just the the concept that comes to my mind when I when I watch them players. But having these second line players, if you want to call them, in the in the interiors, dropping out of the block while still having their attacking players, generally that front five, holding the width, including Klaus and and Nuno, you know, being the the wide and high uh, wing backs. It kind of creates this big chasm of space between the higher five and the lower five, if you want to go by that. Um, and then what happens is that they use dynamic movement and suddenly have players dropping into that open chasm where the opponents have also kind of left that space open in order to stay onto those five. Um, they come in to receive, um, combining with the forward movement from some of the deeper players, as we've spoken about the the wide center backs in particular like to get forward obviously the pivots coming back into play uh alexis sanchez is also very important in this sort of i would say in the sort of way of building out um he's as as much as he is the center forward you often see him behind the wing backs and the two attacking midfielders that play behind him and trying to pull the defense out of shape trying to trigger those or create that space just behind them for players to run into. I would like to pick up on that, that chasm that you mentioned, um, Alex, while you do see it opening up, um, you do see spaces being opened up for you know, the usual suspects, the more offensive, um, attacking-minded players and uh, you know the, the wide the wide centre-backs who charge forward. You do also occasionally see uh, runs from the central center back. Uh, mostly you'll see Gigo doing this. Uh, whenever the space has been opened up, Bemba going up wide and Rangier coming back into the central center back spot. Um, so spaces have kind of opened up in midfield and the, the opposition players have been dragged wide enough. You'll see Gigo kind of bombing forward and progressing with the ball quite high, just carrying it into opposition. Um, areas the opposition middle and final thirds um and he is also uh, a really really good passer uh which okay by central center back standards in the league um so while well, he had been initially typecast as this one-dimensional um this one-dimensional destroyer bully type center back um Gigo's capacity to make those runs in between the spaces that have been opened up by other players. Um, I think it is a valuable part of um, 
of Tudor, and it is something which I think we failed to mention or mentioned very briefly in the in the key principles section. Um, but I guess we're seeing these principles kind of pour into the phases. Um, the way players uh, are able to just do different things depending on the situation, depending on the amount of space, depending on this the the way the opposition has set up or the way the opposition has reacted to our setup um because someone like a the central center back kind of moving between the lines um in the previous season we weren't we weren't we weren't really seeing that under Sampaoli and it's something which i think has been an intriguing and interesting part of uh Tudor's setup um this season yeah definitely deeper in that in the you know Building out right from the back. I think Chancellor Mbemba is someone else who also really carries forward a lot. Um, obviously, he's a very good carrier. He's been very impressive for for Marseille. So they're often on that right centre-back side. I know Gigo generally plays centre-centre-back, central centre-back, um, depending on who else is playing. But yeah, they often try to push through that side. And then you'll just see very comfortable, very fluid system. Rangier, whoever, Guendouzi, even at times just kind of well, Gwendouzi, when he is, is playing in the pivots, just sit back and take up that position while the centre-back moves ahead of him as early as in their own third, right? Um, I think we should move and kind of talk about maybe where the most interesting stuff does happen, which is in the final third, especially when they've kind of got settled possession, settled territory. We were kind of speaking about how they, they move up down the flanks, um, especially using like passing triangles, I think these touchline triangular passing combinations still take a place in the final third with lots of very interesting, very nice rotations, often involving the high wing back, the near-sided attacking midfielder, and you know, the, the arriving from deep um wide center back to help manufacture space on the underlap. It's you'll often see either for runs off the shoulder in terms of that underlapping run just in behind, um, from the higher in position inside player, so generally the attacking midfielder. In in our um, XI, we've gone for Under and Gwendouzi, both who actually maybe do that a little bit less than guys like Harit or Paye, um, or as we're seeing with Unahi and Malinovsky. Actually, Gwendouzi will often be, will lead to guys like Nuno Tavares moving inside, Palasinash moving outside, and he plays a little bit more there, or alongside Ferry Two Rights. Um, whereas on the other side, Under is actually the guy who more holds the width. And you'll see when Klaus plays with Under, he's actually doing a lot of underlapping play, getting into, into the box uh, from the side, you know, to try play a cut back. There are just so many rotations there, it's really hard to kind of speak it out very clearly. But I, but I think that's also what makes it so difficult for the, for the defense, opposition defense kind of to, to handle them. And I think maybe, Junior, one of the most interesting things is just the role of how attacking these wide centre-backs are. Yeah, I think uh, the wide centre-back charging forward has been, if we were to put things on a scale, I think it is probably one of the most revolutionary things that Tudor has done. Of course, it's not new. Uh, it's something we've seen in a number of clubs. Um, but Tudor kind of bringing that to French football and bringing it into Marseille relative to how our centre-backs set up last season is... It's honestly quite fascinating. Um, Bemba has adapted to that role comfortably. He's, you know, he's slotted in there seamlessly, and him charging forward, whether he's coming out and 
taking up wide positions as a fullback to allow the players on the right to move inside or he's also kind of charging in all the way into the box to just kind of help pin the opposition center backs back and to create a little bit of of space for for late runs or for the likes of Klaus to kind of just operate with just a little bit more freedom um, and not to take anything away from Kolasinac as well who on the left uh, him charging forward has helped um, Tavares quite a lot because his presence does allow Tavares to kind of do more of you know just be Tavares uh, basically um, be his uh, very dangerous and destructive self uh, but I think Mbemba is the more important of the the, the center backs who charge forward and he has brought a bit of balance because um, early in the season I think we expected most of everything you know, everything lively um, in the attacking phase to happen on the left but Mbemba kind of coming in on the right side has helped um, kind of keep things level um, but yeah I think the, the most important aspect of them coming forward the most important effect um is the amount of space that they're able to open up a lot of interesting points made there junior um alex junior was mentioning there something about what you reflected on in terms of marseille's in possession stuff and how they managed to manufacture space for themselves within the opposition penalty area do you want to talk a little bit more about that yeah i think maybe another just general principle of um Tudor's players, how brave they are in committing players forward. And what you'll often see is they really do load up the box as they're arriving into the penalty area. You'll often see five players in the penalty area going up against around about six um, opposition players in the same area or, or seven if you count the goalkeeper, right? But then they'll also be committing uh, a sixth man forward. And what they do is they have that, that front five. Often I'm kind of critical of teams that do have that kind of flatness of their attack because then it just allows the opposition to react in a bit more of being able to commit enough bodies to that five, right? If they're not differently spaced, creating creating space through that, I think something like Arsenal uses a lot more depth in terms of how they attack. But what Marseille do that really comes through as this almost this cheat code is they use that five, they load them up and they create space in the entrance to the penalty area where you'll generally have uh, a sixth man arriving late often for, for a cutback or something like that if Klaus doesn't try to to play the ball across to whoever Nuno or whoever else is, is in the box trying to get on the ball. Often you'll see a centre-back making that late run or even being part of the front five and I think that's just a huge part of how they play um, in being able to just yeah almost overwhelm the opposition in those moments and create Again, through that sort of dynamic movement, dynamic depth from earlier on, it leads to those situations where they can create that space uh, and create those opportunities. A lot of interesting points made there, Junior. And I think as the discussion has gone on, it's become more and more clear that all of these players performing a multitude of roles in Tudor's system have their own influence. And the player-specific influence is much more clear when you look at the attacking midfielders. And for for example, you have the range of options like someone like Amin Harit brings different strengths. Malinowski, Unahi, those two players have come in more recently, but I've already shown what they are able to provide in the Tudor's system. And then, of course, you have Gwenduzi and less so Pae, who have also brought their own strengths. 
So I think it's worth touching on what sort of different skill sets they bring to the table, isn't it? Yeah, each of the the guys who can operate behind the striker having kind of like their own different skill sets um, flexes how how versatile Tudo and his tactics and principles are. Um, you know, we can approach things differently on a game to game basis, uh, situational basis, like you know, game state and all that. Um, and looking at the, the individuals themselves without kind of doing like an in-depth analysis what we see from Pyatt you know uh, age has caught up with him a bit lost most of his athleticism and is a bit of a defensive liability um, is it what we'll see from someone like Harit Harit is far more mobile um, both of them are really good in tight spaces but obviously Harit um, has the quick feet um, and he and if you look at someone like Unahi, um, his country mate, um, doesn't really have, uh, is, is nowhere near as good of a dribbler as someone like Harit. So Unahi and Malinovsky are more likely to make uh, faster passes and they're less likely to kind of get into these super, super tight spaces and try to get themselves out of it um, like Harit would. And... Finally, you know, someone like Ganduzi, um, well, last but not least, uh, Ganduzi, I think, is definitely the best passer um, after Pyatt. Uh, and what he brings in that in that free role behind the, the striker is um, he definitely facilitates uh, everyone else's uh, kind of movement as well. Um, I think all of them being these almost vastly different um, athletes, these vastly different technicians, um, has I think it 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 has really really helped Marseille be able to approach things, um, be able to approach different games uh, on a much more flexible scale than we were last season. So that's in-possession stuff out of the way. Let's quickly touch on the out-of-possession things that we see under Igor Tudor, Alex. I'll come to you first. Uh, what do you sort of? What is your immediate impression of an Igor Tudor side out of possession? I guess we'll we'll kind of transition from where we ended, which was getting those attacks in the box. What really stands out to me is the counter press after losing high, and I have to say. I watched a lot of Marseille and really still struggle to get a good grip on their them defensively. But counter-press is maybe where it's most obvious. They're very brave um, in transition, right? Because of how much they're committing forward. They don't have too many men back. Um, but there's a very immediate intense squeeze high up with obviously the players who were in the box trying to collapse backwards as well, really trying to get the ball. If they break through that, you will see the defense dropping off, kind of natural. Um, someone like Bellotti is always hanging back where the wide centre-backs in Kolasinac and Mbembe, if they aren't already in the box, they will be pushing up. Someone like Rangier is very important in terms of protecting the zones, knowing when to jump and close space. Um, but otherwise, they'll kind of retreat back a bit and try to win the ball a little bit later on. Um, like I was saying, they also change the team up a lot, but dependent on opposition, of course, you will often see 
a three, four, one, two sort of shape matching up man to man at the back versus goal kicks. Um, and also often someone sitting right on the six, obviously being the, the one in that four, a three, four, one, two, uh, sorry. And you'll often also have someone sitting right on the opposition six, who would of course be the three, who would of course be the one in the three, four, one, two shape. Right. Um, yeah. Just to pick up on that, um, you had mentioned uh, that uh, Marseille collapsed backwards um, on the opposition. It is kind of this uh, almost rhythmic movement of collapsing backwards and inwards on the opposition, re reducing the amount of space that they have to work with, trying to win it back as fast and as high as possible. Um, we are seeing um, way more, not really way more, a little bit more pressing this season than we did last season. But once this has uh, once this collapses uh once this fails to work we haven't been able to sustain this well uh over the season and i think this is where defensive frailties start showing once the opposition manages to beat this initial squeeze uh we will see kind of marseille at their weakest um so we'll typically something that we started doing early in the season um getting back into this tight mid block um kind of suffocating the and the, the, the opposition um, and ensuring that they don't get past our, like they don't get into our defensive third. Um, and the, the front line of this, uh, the front line of this mid block, um, sometimes it's a three, four, three, sometimes it's a three, four, one, two. Um, but the, the first three players, the, the first three players that are closest to the opposition players, um, to basically the, the forwards aren't as, they're a bit more passive. Um, they aren't as aggressive as players like Mbemba um, and um, Tavares is aggressive, but he's, his, aggress his aggression isn't really, um, it, it's not tactful, <laughs> sorry to say. Uh, but yeah, like that, that is something which I've, I've noticed quite a lot in how we play this season, how we defend. Do you think that that maybe also has to do with the personnel pushing up? I mean, I know there's Sanchez, but he's also 34. And I think energetic at times, we're not always the best pressing player from an intelligence and angles point of view. And then I guess also guys like Winduzi, when you're putting them up, up front, slow to react to sort of certain situations, I think. Do you think that that's maybe why the mid block does become a bit more passive at times? Because when it's aggressive, it's maybe easy to play through or, or not coordinated enough? It is definitely a, a personnel issue. Um, even leaving aside... Uh, the aging Sanchez and the somewhat defensively um, limited Ginduzi. Um, I think Arit starting up on the on the left. Whenever Arit starts, whenever Arit starts on the left, uh, we will see him kind of trying really, really hard to position himself well to follow the coach's instructions. But um, this, you can clearly see that it, defending isn't his um, his strong suit. Uh, see this the same with Onde whenever Onde starts on the right and Genduzi starts on the left. Um, so I think the personnel in the front three is just a tiny bit lacking when it comes to being um, defensively astute. Um, but I think what does help is whenever we're in positions like this and we know, um, you know, Tavares and Onde and Genduzi and Sanchez so basically like half the the squad isn't 
um, defensively solid. We will what we will try to do is we will try to funnel the ball into areas of areas of strength, which is typically our right side. Um, we'll try to bring the ball closer to players like Paledi uh, and Bamba and especially Rongier. Uh, all three of these guys are really good at tackling um, Bamba and even Paledi. Um, these are guys who are physically gifted, um, capable of going in 1v1. Um, but I do think uh, Baledi also does have quite a, a bit of recovery speed to him. Um, and Klaus kind of also drops in to, to assist. Klaus isn't the best defensively. Um, he is better than Tavares. But uh, what he what he does offer when he drops back is, aside from just being an extra body, he also does use his recovery pace well. Um, really good positioning from him uh, from time to time. And yeah, so in general, I do think uh, we haven't quite worked out the you know the ideal defense that that we want. Um, I think this this is definitely the area that probably will require the most improvement um, going into next season. Um, but yeah, that was that that would be how um, we defend. Right. So I get the feeling that from the discussion that you've we've had so far that ego Toto's out of possession tactics are still a work in progress and probably we'll see more evidence of what they clearly want to do as uh, as the season goes on right so now it's time for the fun part of uh, of the pod which is of course picking the five most important players of uh, of marseille uh this is of course not not the five best players this is a a fair warning to listeners it's not the five best players but it's according to each of us the five most important players so alex do you want to give us your fifth most important player first hold on i need to go get the list i forgot what i settled on <laughs> okay well let me we can keep this in the pod i've been going back and forth on this so much because i really feel like there are like 11 players that conceivably 12 players 13 players that i wouldn't really have a double take if they made the final the final um the top five if you will uh who i went for eventually i did settle on nuno Tavares as the fifth most important player and it's an interesting one i really do think this comes down to the, the importance obviously he has been really great going forward for them but i also do feel that that defensively he is so weak at times and even in pos- in deeper possession he can be so asleep so it was a really it was a big sort of weighing up how important is it that he is like who could really replace what he does at left wing back and i don't think anyone really can and given how important that high attacking wing back role is under um tudor i decided to give him fifth So my number five pick is uh, Matteo Ganduzi. I I think uh, Ganduzi's uh, kind of free role, both on and off the ball, is crucial to the team's chaos theory in the final third. And while he does have his weaknesses um, off the ball, I think he doesn't really know how to press, uh, or rather when to press at the right moments, when to step up or get close and tight to a player. Um, I do think what kind of helps is his positioning defensively, um, which is important for the team's defensive shape. Um, in addition to just being important to the club, 
on the pitch. He is kind of like a huge figure of the club. Right now, we do take full credit for rebuilding his career. Um, yeah, so I think that has him kind of uh, being able to to. And yeah, I do think his kind of his strengths um, do outweigh his weaknesses um, currently for the team. Um, but we are seeing less and less of him, uh, which uh, not 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 really like much much less. But he is kind of uh, being considered less indispensable, which is uh, it's not really worrying. Uh, I do think it is. Uh, kind of like a wake-up call for him that he does need to kind of step up his um the defensive side of his game he is my favorite player uh at the club at the moment i mean i'll show i'll show my hand i mean he's he's also my favorite marseille player i i absolutely love quindizi and he he actually didn't make the list for me so so yeah, it, and I think he is one of one of your best players. I, I just, for me, the reason, the rationale behind leaving him out, and it was a tough one. I think he was probably sick for me. Um, the rationale for it was just with the Nahi and, and Malinovsky coming in, there are players that can replace what, what he does in a sense. Obviously, he still wants him and he's one of the best players in the team. But just in terms of importance, I do feel like there are certain roles that are so important under Tudor. And Gwendouzi isn't a little bit... Sometimes I kind of feel like he plays because of how good he is rather than his profile being perfect. And I think someone like Unahi potentially has more in that role behind the striker, more to offer offensively than Gwendouzi does. Yeah, like I was saying, it is kind of like a wake-up call for him to to raise um, the weaker aspects of his game and improve on the, the stronger ones, um, his passing. Um, he is, like I said, he is an incredible um, passing progress of the ball. Um, so I think he he is someone who could be part of this club um, and a huge part of the, the, the club's long-term future. So him kind of uh, improving and uh, becoming the best version of, you know, the, the, the role that he is being assigned to, you know, the free role. I think that could be uh, a really, really influential part of um, Marseille next season. Um, but yeah, Ganduzi is my number five. Uh, still, despite being fifth, he is, again, my most favorite um, player that I love most at the club right now. Yeah, and, and the negatives is the issue, right? Because if he was just a little bit more clued up defensively, he would be playing there instead of Veratu, I'd say. He'd be... He'd be a starter in the team, and he is probably the best passer, definitely from deep, the best passer in the team. I think you'd say Paye is the best passer, but definitely the deep, the best deep progressor. It's just, it's just what Tudor wants so much, especially in terms of like thinking about rest defenses, having those pivots, be really awake to defensive transitions, which is not quite Gwinduzi's bag. But yeah, I think we should move on maybe to to fourth. Let's let's have Junior go first, Mister Host, if you would. Yeah, Junior, who's uh, who's your fourth uh, fourth most important player for us? My number four is Chancel Mbemba. Uh, Same. <laughs> so Mbemba <Same>. is the <laughs> Libra's replacement on paper, but you know he has ten times the lung capacity, ten times the muscle, and his runs wide um, 
on that right side have been the keys to like success and balance on that side um whether he sticks wide or becomes an option for the switch or he allows klaus genduzi um under to charge into the box um sometimes he also occasionally moves deep into the box himself um he is technically gifted uh on the ball quite physically imposing off it um so his I, I really do wish I I had him higher because he he offers so much to uh like Tudor structure in the final third and he is also kind of like obviously he, he I think he is our best defender so I really do wish I had him higher considering how important he is in both uh in in, in every phase of play um but yeah as it stands uh Bamba is fourth on my list Yeah I couldn't agree more and to show my hand a little bit I have uh, I have Shansar Mbemba as my fifth uh, most important player <laughs> uh and maybe controversially uh I have left out Nuno Tavares which uh, which I will not explain <laughs> You know what I I love giving a nod shit but I actually can't say anyone can be controversially left out of this is going to be the toughest top 5 or the most controversial and therefore the least controversial top 5 from anyone because <laughs> it feels like someone always has to be left out. But yeah, I mean just on Chancel as well. I think he's absolutely phenomenal in the role. We didn't speak maybe enough about how important he is tactically, but he those underlapping runs that you'll literally see him start a move off carrying past the first line, play the ball out into, you know, letting Undo and Klaus do their thing and then suddenly arrive deep from the underlap and bring the ball right into the box. If he had a little bit more about him in terms of close control in the box, you he would probably have a number of assists and a number of goals. Obviously we're speaking about Tudor just speaks about more about who it doesn't matter who's occupying those spaces just that they are, but he really does get into those positions really well. And I think defensively, he can maybe get a bit too attracted to the ball at times, but he is playing a very aggressive role and and he's very good at covering when Bellotti gets caught out. I I I remember watching I think it was versus Nice. and Bellardi was playing left center back which was a bit of a, a nightmare because Bellardi on the turn is not it's not fun and then G <laughs> and then uh Gigo was it was was the center center back and also maybe not the best um retreating towards goal and he just you just needed Mbemba coming across to to save both of them after they both got kind of cleaned up by by a, what 34 year old Ramsey I think it was and and Lebo kind of combining so he's very important as well going forward as in like emergency cases um defensively okay cool alex we'll stick with you do you want to give us your uh, your third most important player so my third and this one maybe feels like the most contribu- controversial <laughs> but i i i gave klaus third third most important okay. player oh wow well, i actually don't um, even have klaus in my top 5 what what oh, wow <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's he's sixth for me oh it was tight <laughs> You see what I mean? Okay, okay. Rather than me have to justify why Klaus is third, why is Klaus only sixth for you? I do love Klaus. Um I I think he's, you know, he's one of my favorite players this season. Um and he is someone who's really really influential in in the attack. Uh also brilliant, technically gifted, really good crosser, really good passer. He does love an outside of the foot pass. um these days something we see him kind of uh trying a lot here and there um but i 
really did have a hard time squeezing him in over the players who I have in my my top three, which you know I'll reveal in a second. Um, but yeah, my my love for for I think coming into the fifth spot, it, it was tight between Ginduzi and Klaus, and I think Ginduzi's free role trumped um, Klaus's role on the on the right by a very 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 slim margin. Again, totally love Klaus. I, he does. He does love a little outside of the foot. You know what? I'm going to justify why I think he absolutely should be in the top five. I felt like if you, if I'm using Nuno for, for fifth, right, it, with Klaus, it's just more than I think he's a great player. I think he's actually pretty good defensively. Not great, but pretty good, especially considering how offensively he's used. But under Tudor, those those wingbacks are so important. I mean... With with Nuno being that like goal threat, you, Klaus actually kind of runs the show from the right. Not only in terms of his creative passing game and like we we're speaking about, he can play off you know both feet generally off the right, but cutbacks from deep, the outside of the foot thing that he loves to do. Maybe loves a bit too much to do at this point. I think recently we've just seen him trying it like four times every game just because he can. But but also just his movement. I mean, we speak about when Under sort of plays alongside him, the underlapping gaming plays is so intelligent i i just think he's a fantastic player i felt a bit harsh only having him at third but having said that who did you have at third junior in third i have mr valentin rangier okay um, this is this is this is some humble pie because i knew you used to hate rangier so. <laughs> yeah yeah i'm putting the, the pitch book down um hands are up uh <laughs> full full respect to to rangier he is the leader of everything that happens off the ball um, kind of like the coach on the pitch. Um, he's especially important in the counter press and rest defense. Um, the reason why I call him like the coach on the pitch is because the players adjust themselves, adjust themselves to like his instructions and his positioning. And he is also quite comfortable in practically every blade of grass in the defensive and middle thirds. Um, and I also think he's quite important in moving between, um, moving between the phases. Um, either his passing or his positioning will be really, really important in transition. Um, when his passing isn't really like ultra superb or anything, but I do think that what he offers on the ball and what he offers off the ball again, um, someone who's really, really important is like member. Yeah, well, you took you took the words out of my mouth, basically. He's my number two. Um, I think he's, he's so important to the side. I think he really has come into his own under Tudor more than any other coach. Of course, um, I do think he lacks a little bit of that top, top class passing game that would really make him more notable. But the stuff he's done defensively, positionally, has always been really, really underrated, I think. Even you were, you were seeing him play right wing back under Sampaioli last season where you guys literally could, well, had no right wing backs. So you played you played him there, right? I think he did a fantastic job um, in terms of sort of controlling. He, he can play really anyway. He has a really good understanding of the game. And I think now when you have him in that pivot in such a fluid side, he just makes the spine as strong as it is. And yeah, fantastic player. I also think he moves really well, picks his positions. I think I'm repeating myself, but he's great, basically. Cool. Uh, Junior, do you want to give us your number two pick? Well, my number two is kind of breaking the cardinal rule of football. Um, don't fall in love with a lone player. Uh, I'm afraid it's happened twice, oh, boys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it is... Uh, it is Nuno Tavares. Um, Tavares is for me one of the best in the league at ball progression, um, particularly through his carries. 
uh, I think he is more than capable of creating chances for himself, bringing others into play. He's a strong, capable dribbler. Um, good long legs, uh, kind of help with the recovery pace in defense. And there's this air of danger around his presence. It kind of acts like a gravitational pull, you know, guaranteed to open up space for the likes of Arid, Ertu, Sayad, Kalashinats, um, depending on whether he's cutting in or holding with. Um, recently, he's also featured on the right, um, which I think is really, really good that he's showing that he's capable of causing problems on either flank, um, which which I think um, really does help him cover his defensive weaknesses. I don't know if we'll be able to keep him um, going into next season. It does It does sound maybe a bit off topic, but it does sound like Arsenal will be selling him in the in the summer. And I know he's spoken about how, how much he, he loves being at, at Marseille. So, I mean, it unlike Saliba, who obviously always wanted to come back to the superior Boo-hoo. club in Arsenal. <laughs> <Boo>. <laughs> <laughs> um... I think I think with Nuno Nuno Travaj, maybe there is a chance. I wouldn't have him that high. Well, I didn't. I had him fifth, higher than higher than Nenad. So if you want to take beef with anyone, pick <laughs> take it with take it with our host. But yeah, I just think for everything that he adds forward, I still think sometimes he can be a little bit predictable with what he's going to do, and then it's just the in his own half, whether he's on the ball in his own half or or defending against the ball in his own half. That's my main issues with him. Yeah, he does live in his own world a little bit, um, which I think... Yeah, that's a good way. That's a good way for it. Yeah, um, whether he's on the left or on the right, I think there is kind of a... You know, you can see the the, the weakness that he has in his defensive game um, and his over-reliance on kind of his physique, um, getting pulled really, really tight, uh, really close to players who know that, this. of course, he, he these are kind of like his weak points. Um and then once he's not able to kind of use his um, his body to to win the ball back, uh, he's also not a very good tackler. I think that's another kind of issue with him. Um, but him improving his defensive game, um, I think, will it, it will definitely um, help Marseille kind of advance to if we're able to keep him next season. That is, I do think it will uh, be really really crucial in us kind of you know advancing to our goal we want to be that's the kind of like the latter stages of the champions league as a humble as a humble leon fan i think you guys should focus on making it out of your champions league group first before we start speaking about quarterfinals but but yes let's, let's i think you should focus on qualifying for the champions league first um personally <laughs> yeah I, I walked into that <laughs> let's move on quickly <laughs> But yeah, if we are able to keep um, Tavash, um, I think he's um, he's he's a really really incredible player. That's why I have him as second. Um, oh man, lot of lot of fire being thrown around uh, being thrown around the room at the moment. Uh, let's cool it down with your number one picks, guys. Uh, Alex, who do you have as your most important player? I think we I think we have the same one. It's Alexis Sanchez. Am I right, Junior? Yeah, yeah, Alexis Sanchez, number yeah. one. I actually did not expect to, to have it as Alexis Sanchez until I really watched the footage back. I think the role he plays is so important and no one can play it like he does. And he still has so much quality in terms of... He's actually a smarter player than he was when he played under Arsenal. Maybe because he has a little bit less energy, so he has to be a bit more smart about what he does in a way. It calms down a little bit. Um, 
but yeah, the the way he drops in, he pulls people with him all the time. Um, I know his numbers aren't like insane by any stretch of the imagination. You know, he's he's what he's only getting about a, a goal or assist every second game at a rate of every second game. But this is kind of true for most of the squad. No one is really like blowing it up in terms of per ninety numbers. But you can see the effect that Sanchez has just in terms of where he's pulling people, opening space for others, um, and just creating creating so much in a way that we watched. I've watched a game also or two of, of what Vitinha can do in that role, and it's just not nearly the same. I think the squad is a lot more blunt. Or the team is a lot more blunt when it doesn't have him in, in, in it. Yeah, and I think that's why... Um... I, I hate to talk about players who aren't at the club at the moment. That's why the likes of Arik Milik um, aren't really considered, even remotely. Uh, looking at Amadou Mbadiang and um, Luis Javier Suarez, and Colombian Luis Suarez, um, they weren't able to kind of stick with um, with Tudor, with the, the idea that the club is kind of trying to move forward with. Um, from the season going forward. Um, and that's why kind of Sanchez is starting almost every game, um, just because of what he is able to do off the ball. Like, he, same way he's found a home within the hearts of the massive fans, um, same way he also find, regularly finds space between the opposition lines with comfort and ease. Um, and it is a certified way to open up space for like the marauding runs that follow it. Him, Sanchez kind of dropping deep will always be followed by this. Um, really, really neat sequence of players just charging forward past him. On the left, you have Vertu and Tavash. On the right, you have Klaus and Unda, Klaus and Bemba. Um, he will be the key to kind of, he's the key that kind of unlocks this series of really, really brilliant movements by players into um, their space that he has created by dropping in deep. Sorry, not to, not to interrupt, but I actually wanted to get your perspective of this. What was the deal with going after Mofi? Because it didn't make sense to me at the time. And after watching how important Sanchez is, like maybe I thought maybe they're going to try to get more of a focal point. Like, I just don't think the system really would work with one. Um, I don't really get the deal. Because Mofi, we, we've spoken about him, I think, in the first part about how he has improved as a focal point player with, you know, his flick-ons and stuff has always been decent, but he's added a bit more hold up play to his game, but not nearly enough to really be effective in a Tudor team. I just find it a really and you guys went after him quite quite strongly. Fully agree. Um while I can't say no to Terra Murphy, a striker who had a lot in the league. Um I do think that he wouldn't have been able to provide um or to do what Sanchez is doing as well as consistently as Sanchez is doing it. Um, Murphy, also, I, I don't think he's as sharp on the turn as Sanchez is. I think Sanchez is able to, um, probably his body size does help, um, but he is able to kind of um, turn on the swivel really, really well. And um, his the way he is, he's able to operate in like really, really minimal space um, along with Harit. Um, and sometimes the likes of Gendouzi or Unda um, or Vertu, the way Sanchez kind of does the set of tasks laid out for him by by Tudor, like really, really, really well. Uh, I don't think Morphe would have been able to, um, no disrespect to Morphe again, 
um, but I don't think he would have been able to do it as well as Sanchez is. Absolutely. I want to take over as host and make sure that our actual host doesn't get away with not giving us his top five. So not, and I made him, I made him commit because he wanted to do it on the fly as if he wasn't just going to aggregate our scores. I'm on to him. So not give give us your top five. No, listen, that. I think you'll be glad to hear that we have a lot of overlap in our, in our choices. Uh, Alexis Sanchez is, of course, my number one as well. I love him. Uh, I don't think anyone in the squad currently can do what he does. Uh, my number two pick is Valentin Ranger. I think he's the brains of the side. You know, again, without him, they look they look a completely different side in, in terms of their makeup in midfield. My third most important pick, again, just because of the quality and how he almost elevates the team at his best, is uh, is Matteo Guendouzi. I think he is he's just yeah supremely talented player and yeah fantastic for them. Number four, I have uh, Jonathan Klaus. Again, someone who really impresses me every time I watch him. His the tenacity with which he carries out his underlapping, his overlapping, and again, being so crucial, like you said, Alex, to the to the to the creative side of things that Marseille have going on. So he's my number four. And at fifth, I have uh, the four lung centre back, as Junior so lovingly called him, uh, Chancel Mbemba. I think he's just the perfect uh, perfect Tudor centre back. Provides you know endless energy, but also doesn't doesn't lack in terms of the defensive quality that's required to really nail down what they need from from a centre back from a wide centre back especially. And he does so many things that go unnoticed, I think, in the grand scheme of things. So that's uh, that's my top five. <laughs> I think that was definitely the hardest part of preparing for the pod. Um, choosing five important players kind of trying to put sentiment aside and um functionality and how how well these players do and how important they are to the to the team's overall structure offensively and defensively um that was extremely difficult uh hope i never have to do that again <laughs> but yeah um that, that was my top five i'm happy with it and yeah feel a bit like a bit like I've betrayed Quinduzi by being the only one to leave him out of the team. But no, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. But I'll, you... I'll send him. I'll send him a personal. Apology yeah, I think you should. <laughs> explaining, explaining my decision. <laughs> you should. You should. I mean, Quinduzi, Matteo, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, Alex is very apologetic, or at least he looks very apologetic. <laughs> uh, but that's. I think that's our five most important players done, and I'm. I'm, I'm a little bit conscious that we are running over. In terms of our time, but Alex, do you quickly want to introduce our wonder kid to watch in this team? Okay, yes, let me do that. So we're cheating slightly because he's not actually at the club right now, but he does still belong to the club. He's playing on loan at Auxerre since January, where he's impressed enormously um, after joining Marseille from Le Havre in the summer. So of course, I'm speaking about Soleimani Isaac Toure. He's a 19-year-old French centre-back, left-footed. 206 centimeters tall, making him, I think, the tallest player in, in the top five, top five leagues in Europe. I actually first watched him for the France under-19s um, at the Euros last June, and he stood out a lot to me. He's, in terms of profiling him, he's just got an incredible athletic dominance across the board. In addition to his frame, which makes him like a monster in the air, he's also quite fast, so he can defend quite high and cover depth really well. Also naturally uses his strength very well in duels 
and surprisingly coordinated for a player of his size. I think you can kind of compare him a bit to Buddy Achille in that sense. Uh, he's very comfortable on the ball too. Maybe not quite to Buddy Achille levels, but he's a good passer and able to participate well in building out the back. I think what impresses me the most is just how good a vertical ball carrier he is. And that really stood out to me in the in the recent Lyon game versus Auxerre, where him and Lukeba were basically going like blow for blow, bar for bar, and who could carry into the final third more times. Um, he's also, I think you can get from that, he's very confident on the ball. I think maybe a bit too much at times and he can kind of overshoot, doesn't know when to stop. Um, similarly, I think he has good anticipation defensively and he can really he can really handle a player in the box. He's really good at sticking to play. He made Mark Sankakare's sort of late runs in the box. He just nullified them every time um, in that game. But I think sometimes he can be a bit rash and I almost feel like it comes from this feeling that he thinks he can get away with it due to the physical advantages that he has. And he does, to be fair, but then sometimes he doesn't. As you know, if he wants to take that next step up, I think better judgment um i think he sees things but being able to judge what to do is that next step uh he was a project signing he only he only made what about 18 appearances for la Havre. um but i'm still surprised he hasn't been a bigger part of tudor's plans because i really i don't think kolasinac is really that great in that left center back i think he's very serviceable decent but i actually think that toure would do better there and i'm a bit surprised that he hasn't been a bigger part of his plans because of that um, but I do think the Oxford loan is probably the best move for his development, and we will probably see a lot of him at Marseille next season. He's one of those players where he really does have all the ingredients to just be a monstrously good player. There you go. A lot of exciting, exciting things to hear there about Suleiman Isak Toure. As a Marseille fan, Junior, how excited are you about the prospect of him returning to the club and potentially becoming first team, uh, first team player. Finally, signing a player under the age of like twenty five. <laughs> yeah, it does hurt that uh, we weren't able to develop one ourselves, um, considering that it is the league of talents. But given that he has twenty less than twenty appearances for Leo, I think we can claim him. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm really, really excited about uh, Isaac Toure. I think. Um, He's someone who, in the future, hopefully, um, he will be the starting left centre-back. Um, I was also surprised when he wasn't integrated, um, given that Baledi hasn't been hasn't looked too comfortable at left centre-back. Um, so, you know, the the possibility of Isak Toure taking over from Kalashinats next season um, really, really does. It, it really does excite me because I think he is... Um, he is better defensively, um, better in the air. Uh, you know, he, he uses his his physique to his advantage. Um, and he I think he is also, well, he does have the potential to be far more competent on the ball. Um, we already see him, um, like, being really, really good at progressing the ball for Ozea. And, yeah, if we do manage to integrate him into the team next season, I think he, he is someone who will take I think he, he's someone who will be able to take us to kind of like the next level, um, especially in the first phase, the next level in the, the back line. Fingers crossed for that. Uh, Mr. Isak Toure, uh, if you're listening, the Everybody's Eats pod is supporting you and is wishing you well for the rest of your journey at Auxerre. And with that, I think we're at the end of... I'm sure uh, he's listening. Along with Gwendozy. <laughs> along with Gwendozy, of course. <laughs> But of course, 
Sure, that's where the wreck came from. All right, let's wrap it up. <laughs> okay, and with that, I think we've finished everything we need to talk to uh, to you, listener, today about Marseille. Thank you for sticking with us uh, through the end of uh, through this podcast. Uh, once again, a big thanks to Junior for appearing on the pod today, and a big thanks to you, listener. And we'll see you for the next episode, which will be a deep dive on Toulouse. So see you then. Take care.